Well, the servers are going to collect our offering, but uh, you guys are the real MVPs today, man. I mean, if you ever had a reason to skip church, if it wasn't for a storm or a tree falling down and blocking the road, today was the day. So give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah, the five of you that are here, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, glad that you're here and that you made it in safe. My wife, she came in and she let our, uh, our oldest son, he just turned 16 and got his permit she let him drive. She didn't realize there was going to be a big storm. He said, yeah, I about wet my pants, Dad. That was really scary. <laughs> yep. Well, we're glad you're here today. And as uh, in the announcement video mentioned, uh, we're going to have starting point tonight at 5 o'clock. And I know those, maybe if you're here, even those that are watching online, maybe you're thinking about coming. We'd love to have you join us for that. Uh, you can let us know in the chat box or let us know at next steps that you're going to be here. We're going to have a, a great time and hope that you'll join us. But we're wrapping up this series we started a few weeks ago called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And this, this message is going to be a little bit different than some of the others. Uh, this one I'm calling it When God Seems Relentless. Now I've been uh, thinking about some of my favorite movies and TV shows this past week. I love one of my favorites, the Dixie, uh, the Dixie, the Disney Pixar movie. I combine those two words. The Disney Pixar movie, Up. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that one, but I, I really like that film. If you haven't seen it, it's good, heartwarming, great story. Follows this old man named Carl Fredrickson. He's on this adventure to fly his house to a place called Paradise Falls. It's a place he and his wife had always talked about living, but they, ne they never had the opportunity to do that. And as he's leaving, uh, he meets this young boy named Russell. And if you've seen the film, you know this is a, that's Russell, and he's, he's so annoying to Carl because he just won't leave him alone. He's just, Russell's trying to earn this merit badge, and he wants, wants to assist the elderly, and just won't take no for an answer. So over the course of the movie, Carl, uh, he, he ends up forming this strong bond with Russell, and it's all because Russell wouldn't leave Carl alone. And I think about, uh, well, that, that's a great movie, but I think of other characters that, that, uh, are, are kind of like that, that always seem to be relentless. Maybe you remember I me. Mean, this is a throwback, but I'm sure some of you remember Steve Urkel. It's just always showing up. Uh, or maybe, maybe you remember some of you if, you, if you grew up when I did, if you're kind of an 80s baby and you know, grew up in the 90s, maybe you remember Kimmy Gibbler. She's always showing up full house. You know. Or this one, my, I wasn't really supposed to watch this, but I watched it anyway. If you remember Ned Flanders. From the Simpsons, you know, just always showing up. Those were just some characters that they always seemed to intrude, and yet they were, they were well-loved and well-meaning. And, and maybe you've got somebody in your life like that. It just seems like they just, they just keep, they're just there. You, you love them to death, but they keep showing up, and, and a little space would just be nice. I heard about a husband complaining to his wife about that one day. He was married to one of those gals, and she just she's kind of clingy, you know. I don't know if anybody you've got anybody like that. She always wants to snuggle whatever room he's in. She wants to be in that room. Just can't, you know. It's like you just 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 want to be right up there, all all in your face, and uh, wanting to talk. And one day he said, "Sweetheart, I love you so much, but I, I just I just need some space." So she did what any loving wife would do. She locked him outside. Have all the space you need, buddy. Does God ever seem relentless to you? Now, for some of you, this message, maybe it'll connect with you. Others of you, if you're anything like my wife and you've got the gift of faith, you're going to say, what are you talking about? What, what, do you, what does this mean? And so maybe, maybe this message isn't for you, but I, I imagine there's going to be 
some that are listening to this, if this, is, this may connect with you on a level you think, oh, okay, yeah, I, I got this. The, the thing about our faith is we know that as, a, as Christians, every part of our life is defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Every part of it. You know, you can't compartmentalize. You can't say, well, yeah, I'm a Sunday morning Christian. Like, it defines everything. The way I do relationships. The way I am with my money. The way I am at work. The way I am at home. The way, everything, right? Sometimes, that feels pretty heavy. King David, in the Old Testament, he recognized the weight of that when he wrote in Psalm 139. He says, oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You even know my thoughts when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me and you place your hand on my head. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Now, for a person who feels, maybe you feel like God is far away from you and you worry or wonder, does he see me? Is he concerned about me? Maybe you feel distant. That passage may be wonderfully comforting. But if you've ever found yourself disenchanted with the Lord, or maybe he didn't come through for you the way that you thought he was going to, or you say, you know, God doesn't make sense to me in this moment. I, I don't understand his ways. I don't understand what he's trying to do here. Or maybe you grew up in an overly religious environment. Maybe you grew up in a, in a, you know, in a church where there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot, a lot of guilt and a lot of rule keeping. And your view of God is this angry tyrant who's just ready to punish you. Like he's waiting to just strike you down, then that passage may not be as reassuring. Where can I go from your presence? And David, if you know much about his history, he was Israel's greatest king. His story, though, began on a um, out in a shepherd's field. He was the youngest of a bunch of, of a bunch of boys, and the prophet Samuel had gone to David's house, David's father's house, Jesse. When he was a little little kid, maybe probably a teenager, and uh, was looking to anoint the next king for Israel, and God had spoken to Samuel, said it's going to come from this house, and so Jesse had lined up all of his sons except for David. He sent David way out in the shepherd field. Hey, you don't need you don't need to be here. Don't worry about this. This doesn't concern you. And lines up all these guys, and uh, all impressive dudes, every one of them good-looking, strong, muscular, you know, know how to hold themselves. Every one of them could have been kingly guys. And yet, the Lord says to Samuel, he says, don't look at their appearance. Don't look at what you see on the outside, because I'm looking at the heart. And so Samuel goes one by one, he's like, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. And finally gets to the end, he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got like the runt of the litter David, he's out in the shepherd's field, though, and, but I guess I can go get him if you want. And he brings him in, and Samuel says, this is, you're, you're the guy. And, and, and later in his story, there, there's a lot to take in about David. I mean, we could do, we could do a year-long study just on the, the life of David. But at one point, he commits a major sin. Uh, he, he sleeps with another man's wife. She gets pregnant, so to try to cover it all up, he sends her husband out 
in the battle on the front lines with the instruction that uh, when you're in battle that everyone else is to draw back and leave this guy out there to be killed. And uh, he's called out on that later. But through, throughout his entire life for David, it seems like there's this tug of war with the Lord. There are moments that God has called him into something and, God, and uh, David is flourishing and the Lord is with him. And then there's moments that David decides to go out on his own and do his own thing. And as a result, he faces all these problems and seems to be all this suffering. And, and, and I would, would argue from reading the Psalms that he wrestled with severe depression and anxiety. And so the question that I, I've been wrestling with this week is what do you do... When it feels like God just won't let go. When he seems relentless. And I have to admit this. Um, I, you know, and I, don't know, I don't know if you felt this or not. And maybe it's just me and my, my weirdness. But there, there are moments. I've, I've had moments. I don't want to freak you out or anything. But I've had moments where it's like I just want to run away. I wish I could get in my car and just drive until I hit an ocean. And then I'll just live there forever. Let it just be great, you know, because it's like, God, I, I've had enough. And, and, and maybe you, you felt that where you say, you know, I, I, I'm trying to serve you, but this is tough. And I'm kind of tired. And, and you ever had those runaway moments? I, I don't know if you, you have or not. But just those moments where you, you, you just want to run away from everything because your marriage is hard and parenting is hard and bills are hard and a career is hard and following Jesus is hard. And you just think... I'm done with this. I've had those moments when I've been angry with the Lord. It just feels like I, there's no other option. That, Psalm in, that scripture in Psalm 139 verse 5, the NIV translates and says, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I, I felt that. Sometimes that has not felt comforting. Sometimes that feels like I'm trapped. Now again, some of you might be, man, this is weird. I don't know what you're talking about. If so, you and my wife can get together and talk about how crazy I am. <laughs> but for some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, yeah. There is this stubborn, rebellious part of me that still has trouble doing things God's way. That I, I still, I, I wish that weren't true, and yet it is. I still buck and rare every now and then when God is trying to rein me in. I, I've noticed that some people tend to be naturally submissive and full of faith, and others of us have a hard time some, some days. And I can't help but wonder sometimes about people who you look at their life, and it's, all, it's just struggle after struggle after struggle. And it's like they're beating their head against the wall, and nothing goes right, and nothing seems to fall into place. They just go from hardship to hardship, and they're never, they're never happy. I mean, there's some people you see difficulty, and yet they're full of joy. And you're like, wow, that's amazing to watch how God works in your life. But then there's other people that you just see them. It's like they're just hot coals on their head, you know, and there's no joy in their life at all. And I just look at those people sometimes, and I wonder, have they stepped away from God's will? If he had a plan and if he had a design for their life and at some point they decided, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm not going to do this and God, I want you to leave me alone. And as a result, they've stepped away from God's will and stepped away from his blessing and provision on their lives. I don't know, but I wonder that sometimes. 
There's this passage of Scripture way back in the Old Testament. It's written, uh, it was written to the Israelite people, but I always find it interesting how many things that applied to the Israelites apply to us today and how much we're, we're like them. I mean, just we can be faithful for, for a time, and then we're, you know, we just, it's almost like we forget about everything God's done for us. And, and uh, you know, God's called us to follow him. We struggle with maintaining that relationship. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God spells it out just about as plain as you can get. He says, now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. And if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away, and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods and other things, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. So today, I have given you the choice between life and death. Between blessings and curses, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make, and oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is your key, the key to your life. I think it'd be easy for us to say, well, that was, that was written to the Israelite people. I don't think that applies to us today. I, I beg to differ. I think that applies. I feel the weight of that in my, in my own life. In the moments when I say, I, I'm just tired. I just, I just want to go do my own thing. I'm reminded that, Brandon, you better choose life. And here's something that I know, and I'm continually growing in this. Is that God doesn't want to be transactional with you and me. He wants to be relational with you. We don't have a God who says, okay, you do this and then I'll do this. But we serve a God who wants to be in relationship with you. And you need to know God is not, he's not always mad at you. I feel like that could speak to somebody today. That God is not always mad at you. He's pursuing you in a relationship. You can hear his voice. Hearing his voice does it for me. Now, it's never been an audible voice, but sometimes what it is, it's a, it's a prompt I can, I can feel that God's prompting me uh, to, in, in a direction of something that I know to be in His character uh, because of the truth of Scripture or because of the life of Jesus. But this is what I, I know is true for me. This is what I know. Is that it is absolutely not God's will for me to be anything other than a preacher of His Word. I cannot tell you I'm just being real honest, transparent, okay? I can't tell you how many times over the years I've thought, boy, I wish I could do something else. Early on, uh, when Megan and I were first married, I served at a church. It was very difficult, very, very toxic. And I tried everything to get away. I tried everything to get out of ministry. I applied for every other kind of job, anything else I could do. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it was almost as if I, there was nothing else I could do. I can't tell you how many days I look at some of you guys and look at what you do, and I think, man, that looks like a blast. Your life looks so fun. You know, that, it looks exciting, that career, that, the thing that you do, you know, and, and I know that I could, I could probably do something, 
something else that would take less of a toll on my family and take less of a toll on my emotional health. I can't tell you how stressful it is to deal with people in tragic situations all the time. And to go from that, I mean, this is a common occurrence for me, to go from a telephone call or a meeting with someone who's just lost a family member in a tragic situation and to immediately go that, from that to someone who's angry because of some silly thing in their life and I'm supposed to be compassionate. I've just left this person and I feel like I don't have any patience for this. And then someone else who's just come in celebrating. You know, it's, it's like it, it just takes your emotions all over the place. And, and I, I realize sometimes, boy, it'd be nice to do something different. I could probably make a lot more money too, maybe doing something else. And yet God has placed a calling on my life. And he said, I formed you for this. Here's something else that I know about me. I know that I'm called to be a husband to Megan and a father to Ethan, Jacob, and Adeline. I am not called to abandon, abuse, or neglect them. I am called to be a man of integrity. And there may be, may be moments in my life when I could lie or cheat or steal, but that is outside of God's intention for my life. And now... Let me turn this around to you. Let's get personal. God has a call on your life too. There are specific things that he has called you to do and is a specific kind of person that he has called you to be. And you can never run so far that he can't track you down. Now, that sounds heavy. It sounds sort of smothering. And yet it's true. You can run as far and as fast as you want to. And he is never going to stop pursuing you. Now, you may ignore him. You may reject him. You may neglect him to the end of your life. But he's not going to give up on you. And this is the crazy part about following Jesus. For a lot of the world, they see this as obstructive to their life. Like, I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be a part of that because it's too demanding. I want to be who I want to be. And I want to make decisions for my life, and I, I want to decide who I am and make you know, all these things. And, and I wonder about, I was thinking about this this week. It's like, we just see so much uh, offense today. People are offended by absolutely everything. And, and I wonder if, if that's not because we're not confident in who we are. And so we have to keep trying to reaffirm and justify the decisions we're making, even when we know that they're outside of God's intentions for our life. And so we can't handle any kind of critique at all or any kind of other thought because... You know, because it, it's, just, it's just too damaging to us. You know, depression is one of the biggest medical concerns of our day. Anxiety, anger, hate. We're doing our own thing outside of Jesus. And it doesn't seem to be working too well. It doesn't seem like it's leading anywhere positive. And, and Jesus makes us a very strange promise. In John 15, just listen to these words. John 15, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. That means follow me. Be in a relationship with me. Don't step outside of that. Don't reject me. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And your joy is going to overflow. Now, I'm not a scholar. I don't have PhDs, but I can, I can track with that. What Jesus is telling us is simple. He says, if you follow me, if you let me have my way in your life, you will remain in the love of God and your joy will overflow. 
And if you look a few verses earlier, he gives us the alternative. Verse 5, uh, the same chapter, he says, I'm, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I'm in them, you're going to produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I looked up that word. So I'm like, I wonder what specifically that means. So I looked up the word nothing in the original Greek text. It's the word udice. And you know what it means? It means nothing. <laughs> it's just as plain and as simple as that. It means nothing. He says, if you're not, Jesus is saying, if you're not with me, your life will do nothing. You will be nothing. You will mean nothing. You can do nothing. And this is our problem, the struggle that some of us have, including me. I'm, I'm the chief sinner here of this. I'm, I'm just being honest and upfront. I have this problem where I think that if God would just let me do what I want to do, if you just give me you know, this freedom to give me what I want to have and let me be who I want to be, then everything would just be great. Like, I know what I need. I know what would be good for me. And the problem I have is I think I know what's best. I'm almost 40 years old, and I still think that. I think I, I, think I know what's best. And what I've discovered is that I not only have a Savior who has saved me from my sins, but Jesus has saved me from myself. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, feel, I, I could blow up my life real fast if you just give me a chance. I, I would. And all the time I think, oh, I, I think I know what to do. I think I know what's best here. Our God is a God who relentlessly pursues us. He's like the parent that keeps running after the child that's ready to run off the cliff. And it seems annoying. Why won't you leave me alone? Let me have some space here. And if that's not comforting to you today, the idea of where can I go from your presence, where could I go, if that's not comforting to you today, you don't realize how blessed you are to have a God like that. You don't have a God who's neglected you. I'm going to close with this story I came across this past week. It's from a pastor named Cecil Murphy. And he wrote this article called A Divine Pursuit. I'm going to summarize part of it for you, and I'm going to read some of it. But he wrote, he said, Throughout my life, God has pursued me relentlessly. And I don't mean that God chased me until I surrendered and became a Christian. In fact, the initial awareness of that unmitigating pursuit began five years after my conversion. It was also the first time I became angry at God. And he goes on to say that uh, he f after he became a Christian, he felt this call to go to ministry. Which, as a side note, some of you in this room right now, that may be a call that God has on your life. You need to know that. We need to be raising up men and women who are going to lead and be carriers of God's word. So if that's you, don't ignore that. But he said, I, I felt called to ministry so he'd given up on any other kind of pursuit. And he, he had, he'd made major sacrifices to pursue a ministry career. And he said, one day I'm at home and his wife had been sick. She was upstairs sleeping, trying to get well. Their two kids were just being, they were small and they were, they were not feeling well. They were very, very fussy that day. He said, I'm just trying to hold it all together. But the kids were screaming and yelling. She's trying to rest. And he says, I was trying to study for a couple of major exams that were coming up, but they wouldn't give him a break. And in the middle of the day, the, the mail came. So he goes out to the mailbox, 
He said, there, were some bill, there was a gas and electric bill in there. He said, I don't have the money to pay this. Also, he says, my car needed work. I needed brakes put on. I didn't have the money for that. And he kept praying and asking God, saying, would you just give me a break so I can study? I've got these exams coming up. Would you just let the kids settle down so I can study? He says, they're just throwing a fit. And he said, he's not a person prone to headaches. He said, my head started pounding. I had this terrible migraine. felt like there was just a rubber band around my head. And he said that he finally got the kids to rest. And he said, I just was so exhausted by this moment. I laid down on the couch for a moment. And he wrote, he said, we were living in the bad days. My good friends at church were serving God while pursuing lucrative careers. The tension had been building for weeks. No matter how carefully we managed our finances, unexpected expenses sneaked in. I thought, I'm in debt Because I'm studying to serve a God who won't provide money to pay my bills. For maybe 10 minutes, I grumbled about all of heaven's mistreatment. Why am I serving God anyway? Others don't have these problems. None of my friends have to pray for money just to pay the bills. And as my reasoning intensified, so did my anger. Then rage erupted. I'm through with you, God, I said out loud. If you're all-powerful and all-loving, why don't you do something good for me? Why do you make it so hard to serve you? Instead of feeling better, the bitterness just spewed out. I I don't believe in you anymore. What have I gotten from you except poverty and sacrifice? Besides, as a Christian, I always have to seek guidance. Before my conversion, I just decided what I wanted, and that's what I did. That's the way I want to live from now on. I want to do what I want to do. And the more I thought of the freedom from having to check in with God and waiting for guidance that didn't always come, the more I kind of like that idea. I'm through with Christianity. Almost immediately, peace flooded me. I was free from God. I had made the decisions. Now now I could divorce myself from any connection with the church or Jesus Christ. I would take my final exam the next day and the other two I had later in the week. And after that, I would drop out of college, get a full-time job, maybe continue my education part-time. But I didn't want to serve God. I was finished with all that religious business. I had tried it. It hadn't worked. It was time now for me to enjoy my life and do what I wanted to do. I would never attend another church activity or read the Bible again. And then a question entered my mind. But what about the kids? That question burst from inside me. It was all right for me to not choose to follow God, but what about them? Well, my wife can take them to church if she wants to, I decided. Oh, so she's supposed to take over all the spiritual guidance. Yes, I decided she could do it. She would have to do it because I was through with God. For five years I had sought Him, and what good had it done me? I didn't want to think about God ever again. From now on, I'd focus on what I wanted. If the Bible should turn out to be true, and I ended up in eternal torment, I didn't care. I just wanted to be free now. But what about your daughters? Do you have the right to treat them this way? Then I exploded. If my wife and the girls hadn't been asleep upstairs, I would have screamed at God so loudly that the neighbors would have heard me. This isn't fair. Because God had smacked me with a sharp left hook. I didn't care about myself, but I couldn't gamble on the salvation of my girls. My anger intensified, and I, God, and I told God so. And just then I remembered an ad that I had seen years earlier in a Christian magazine. It was an organization that reached out to alcoholics, and they wanted financial support. And the picture 
showed a man trapped inside a whiskey bottle. And the agonized expression on his face, along with outstretched hands, showed me that he couldn't free himself from the bottle. Yes, I thought, that's just like me. I'm trapped, hemmed in. God wouldn't let me go no matter what I want. What kind of a God are you? I don't love you. I don't believe in you. I just want you out of my life. Why won't you leave me alone? I don't know how long the railing continued, but for several minutes at least, finally exhausted from all of my angry accusations, I stopped, too weary to fight any longer. Okay, you've got me. I don't like it, and I don't want you, but I can't turn away. Are you satisfied now? Of course, I heard no response. Even when I want to get away from you, you won't let me go, will you? As I listened to my own words, something clicked inside my head. Tears filled my eyes, and an overpowering sense of gratitude engulfed me. God would not let me go. Even when I didn't want to follow... God still loved me and wanted me. I lay quietly, my eyes closed, and silently gave thanks for the unrelenting love that refused to let me run away. And then the tears flooded. I begged for forgiveness. God wanted me so much that I could never pry loose the divine arms that hugged me tightly. And the end of the story is that... Uh, his girls awakened. They woke up happy, alert, and, and begged him. They said, Daddy, can we go outside and play? He said, I let them out into the front yard where I could see them enjoying themselves for the next three hours, an unbelievably long time for them. They never came back into the house. He said, my headache disappeared as quickly as it had come. My wife woke up in the middle of the afternoon, felt well enough to take over the girls' care. I studied for three solid hours. The next day I took the test and ended up with the highest grade in the class. Finances still troubled us, but a few church friends, unaware of our needs, gave us money. Opportunities to speak in churches opened up, and each time I left with a handshake and an envelope with a check. We also paid the fuel bill a week before it was due. And I love the, the last thing he said. It'll be on the screen. God won't let me go. Even though I haven't always rejoiced in that fact, sometimes arguing and screaming I'm thankful that God hasn't stopped the divine quest for me. I also know that as long as I live, God will relentlessly pursue me to complete sanctification. And this is true for each of us. And it means that if we pause and listen, we'll hear the divine whisper, the love call, the sweet promises, the tender voice that beckons us onward, it's the unyielding Savior who accepts us as we are, yet never allows us to remain as we are. Psalm 139, I hope it comforts you today. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit up, sit down, or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Let's pray. Father, would you remind us today how blessed we are to have a God like you. That you are a perfect father. 
You, you don't neglect, you don't abandon, you love us, and yet you will allow us the freedom to stumble and fall and, and make decisions that, that break your heart. And even when we do that, when we reject you and go our own way, you are waiting there to welcome us back over and over again. You restore us. You forgive us. You redeem us. Lord, help us to move to maturity where we don't see your presence as a stumbling block, but we see your presence as a blessing. Remind us that you are good and your ways are perfect. And even when we feel uncomfortable, that you are not here for our comfort, but you are here for our good. Lord, this life is full of difficulty and trials, but you are a God who walks with us in the midst of them. Help us to lean into you, to trust you and rely on your sovereign hand. And we thank you most of all for Jesus who purchased all of this and paid our debt so we might be free. And it's in his name I pray all these things. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Be safe if you're going home out in the storm. Feel free to hang around till it clears if you need to. But have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.